And now you got me in trouble because all the other connect group leaders and all the other connect groups don't get promoted until next week, all in a bunch. But you kind of trumped them by doing it a week in advance and only promoting your own. So that's the privileges of... We call that taking initiative. Thanks, Chris. Ah, 2011. Is God still good? So I can just imagine God in heaven looking down on us as a corporate body of believers, the Gathering Place Church. Looking down on our city, desiring to pour out revival. Looking down in your individual life and seeing you. He knows you by name. He called you by name. If you haven't yet come to a son, he's calling you by name. What's he drawing you into? He's drawing you, he's attempting to draw you into his goodness, his sovereign plan for your life. And so let's say that this represents God. And he's full of goodness. This picture here is full of water, the water of the Holy Spirit, his prosperity, his healing, his favor, his kindness, encounters with God. His mercy, vision, revelation for you. I mean, He in heaven is wanting to pour out His goodness on you this year. And here you are, under heaven's spout. And He says, oh man, I'm going to get the, uh, the Moraleses this year. The Mancinis are going to get it, man. Randy and Joel, I'm going to bless them this year. Pour it out. Jesus, pour out the blessings on them. Pour out my goodness and my prosperity and my peace and my joy, promotions. None of it went into them. I'm pouring out my goodness and there's no receiving whatsoever. Their cup is still empty, even though all the promises are true. Even though I've preached, John has preached, I just made myself God. John has preached. My promises and my goodness, and I'm pouring it out, but their cup is still empty. What is the issue here? Well, for many people, it is that they are trying to relate to God in their own righteousness. And when you do that, it will not go in. Many people have unforgiveness in their heart. And God says, if you will not forgive, I will not forgive. And the windows of heaven are shut. For many people, they don't feel worthy. God's pouring it out and they go, oh, no, Lord, no, oh, no, not me. Oh, no, I'm not worthy. Stand still. No, not me. I'm just not worthy. Oh, how can I serve you? Oh, what can I do for you? No, not for me. I'm not worthy. And what God wants to do is for you and I to rip off the barriers that block his goodness in our lives and just let God go ahead and bless you this year to overflowing. So there's not only enough for you. But there's enough for you to give out God's goodness to all of those around you. And so today, I want to talk to you and I about how to remove barriers in our lives this year. So we are in a posture to receive all that God has for us. Amen? The problem is never goodness on God's end. The problem is never that God does not want to pour out His goodness into our lives. It is always on the receiving end that there are issues. This has been made clear when God already sacrificed his son on the cross. 
And we're going to see this scripturally, that that set up a precedent that God is ready to pour out the kingdom on your life. So let's work on getting into a posture this year that whatever God wants to pour out into your life in 2011, you're ready to receive it. Amen? Now, where I got this from was one year, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, John, your harvest has come, but your receiver is broken and you're going to miss it. That shocked me because I preach faith. I preach the goodness of God. I preach just what I'm preaching to you right now. But it's amazing how even when we have the right theology, sometimes, you know, the 18 inch drop from knowledge to belief in your heart can be the longest distance in the world. And what the Lord was showing me, and this is what he said to me, your receiver is corroded. You ever seen battery cables and you can't start your car and you don't know why and you lift up a hood and you got those battery cables and they're just got all this corrosion on them and it, the electricity can't fire. It can't make, it can't transmit. So you got to get out the Coca-Cola. This shows you how healthy Coke is for you. You get out the soda pop and you pour it and it eats away all the corrosion on the cables. You know it's got to be doing wonderful things for your intestines. <laughs> you pour that Coke on there and it eats away the corrosion. Or like, how many of you listen to K-Love, radio station? You know, you're listening to it, you got a great song, you're popping, you're connecting with God, you're worshiping, and then you drive through Poway. Yeah. And all of a sudden, right, it's going in and out, and you can't get it, and they're static. Many times, see, the transmitter, the tower for K-Love uh, up in uh, um, Julian is sending out the transmission. It's on the receiving end where there's that issue. And God said to me, you have a harvest that's beyond your level of receptivity coming your way. So I got into the word of God and began to meditate scriptures. Now, this is critical, family. The word of God is the only thing that will carve unbelief out of your life. Amen. If you're not in the Bible, repent for your own sake. You're not going to be able to gain the faith that you need to connect with God and for him to pour out his blessings if you're never in the word of God. Because the word of God goes into your heart and it starts to... Pull off shame and unbelief and doubt and fear. And it erodes it like soda does on the corrosion on your battery cables. You've got to pour the word of God into your heart. You cannot find a man or woman of God in the Bible that did great things with God that was not a person that meditated the word of God. What does that mean? You get into the Bible, you read it and you stop, you think about it and purposely believe it. And the word of God is so powerful. It's not just ink on paper. The Bible says that the word of God is alive and quick and powerful, sharper than any two edged sword. It goes into your body. It goes into your spirit and it says it literally separates the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It goes into your soul and begins to carve away all the stuff that hinders you from receiving God's goodness. Amen. So I got into the word and I started getting revelation and it was just shocking me. And this is how you know you're in unbelief when you're meditating the word on God's goodness. And all of a sudden his goodness kind of explodes on the inside. And you're like, whoa, God is big. Well, I knew he was big a moment ago. But when revelation comes, he's bigger. He doesn't get bigger in heaven, but he does get bigger in your own mind, in your own heart. And that increases the capacity of receptivity. And within 30 days, I had my first home in San Diego. Listen, I had no money in the bank and I could not qualify for a loan when I began meditating the word on God's goodness. And the corrosion started coming off my cables and I knew what I knew what I knew God was going to bless me. And he told me, I'm going to give you a home. And I told my roommate, you know, what my roommate said to me, listen, Johnny is before I was married. When it doesn't happen. 
just know I still respect you as a man of God. This is what my roommate said to me. But even that did not faze me because I knew I'd been in the word and faith had come. Like Marsta said, when faith comes and the corrosion was off my cable, my antenna was up and I was connecting with God. Within 30 days, I had my first home and I was 32 years old and I had no prospects. And by the end of the year, I was married to this bombshell right here. The spiritual Proverbs 31 woman. God said, your harvest is coming and you're going to miss it. So I got, to, I got busy removing the barriers in my spirit, in my soul, in my mind, in my life that would block God's blessings from coming into me. I ended up owning a home and marrying hope uh, within 11 months. So God gave me hope. So I want to help you today and me get into a posture to receive. Are you ready? Do you want all God wants for you this year? Let's go. Number one, receive from God based on Jesus' righteousness, not yours. You and I will, you'll do this. It, it's just natural. You'll, you'll catch yourself doing this. You'll be going to God praying and you'll find yourself in your mind trying to rehearse to him your righteousness. Like when somebody prays, oh God, heal John because, you know, he serves you. I'm like, stop. I don't want him to heal me based on me being a pastor, me serving you, me being a good person. You can pile up all of your goodness at the front door of heaven. And as Mark said, knock, 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 it will not open. The only thing that opens the door of heaven is Jesus' righteousness. Jesus' goodness. And when you make the exchange, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, what happens is heaven looks at your righteousness and says, P you that stinks. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says your righteousness is like filthy rags. To us, we're impressed with one another. How much we pray, how much we give, how much we fast, what we do for God. If we go to God with that, all of heaven goes, Whoa, that spiritual pride smells up here. But if you and I will come and say, God, I'm not coming to you based on my goodness. When I pray to you, I'm not coming saying, God, look at me. You gotta be impressed. Now I'm gonna pray based on my righteousness. I'm, I'm asking for you to do something for me. I never do that. I catch myself trying to do that. And I said, Oh, wait a minute. Just because you fasted yesterday, don't think you have more righteousness than you did before you fasted. I'm coming to you, God, based on Jesus' righteousness that was given to me as a gift. Let's read this passage. For if by one man's offense, death reigned. That is Adam's sin against God in the garden. Death reigned through the one. Through him to the entire human race, death reigns. That's where sickness, disease, poverty, suffering, spiritual separation from God, all that happened because of Adam's sin. Will you say much more with me? Much more than death. Those who receive, not everybody, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. You see, you and I can knock on the door of heaven, kick on the door of heaven, bang on the door of heaven, put presents at the front door of heaven, our goodness, our righteousness. But when the door is locked, there's only one thing that will open it, and that is a key. Jesus says, I give to you the keys of the kingdom. The keys gain access. 
The only way you and I will gain access into heaven is we have the right key. And the key is Jesus' righteousness. I used to be a general manager of a few stores, and so I had a key chain that had multiple keys on it. And I would go up to the door and try one key, and it wouldn't work. You ever done that? You have this key chain, you try another key, and it's, God, which key goes to this door? Three stores, multiple doors within the stores, and I'm trying to, it was so frustrating. That's how we try to relate to God. Multiple religions, our philosophies on how to approach God, our goodness and righteousness, none of those keys will open the door. Only one key, and that is the righteousness of Jesus. Look what uh, Ephesians 3 says, or Ephesians 1, 3 says regarding this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, past tense, who has blessed us. See, if you're in Christ, you need to say, oh, I am already blessed. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You say, oh, yeah, that's unseen Spiritual blessings way up in heaven somewhere one day. No. The definition of heavenly places is the sphere right immediately around you is where the heavenly places begin. It means the unseen realm. That's where the blessings are, but they translate into the natural realm when you connect by faith with the promises of God. Look what the definition of spiritual blessings is. All the divine privileges and resources available to you now. So that is what is in store in heaven and in the heavenlies for you. All the divine privileges and resources that are available to you right now. But you must come by faith in what Jesus has done for you, not what you have done for God. Look at the Apostle Paul says. Now Paul, man, it is cold in here. Is it cold in here? I am cold. Can we do something about that? All right. The air conditioner's on. My hands are cold. The Apostle Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, talks about this. He talks about how he served the law perfectly. He talks about his own righteousness. He talks about his uh, pedigree. He talks about his education. He talks about where he came from. He talks about his family. He talks about his education. He talks about... he, 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 he He makes this huge list. Okay, attention here. Don't let Ken upstage me. This huge list of all of his own personal righteousness. And here's what Paul the Apostle writes. What is more, I consider everything, he's talking about all of his righteousness, all of his accomplishments, a loss. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So can I hear an amen? amen? Listen, as you start this new year, do not relate to God based on your goodness. Okay, get in Christ, receive him as your savior. And once you've done that, you have now put yourself into a posture to receive all of heaven's goodness. Not because you're good, but because God's good and because Jesus is good on your behalf. Amen. Now, does that mean you can act like an idiot? No, God still spanks, but you, you are right with him and in posture of receiving with him by coming through Christ and not yourself. Number two, you must believe that God wants to bless you. This is where you must begin. 
Because listen, if you have access by Jesus into heaven, and yet you still have this orphan mentality, you will avoid God. You'll be the one in heaven where we're all pulled up to the table by faith, even though we don't deserve it, eating from the king's table, and you're the one still wanting to go around and serve everybody. You're under the table trying to get the crumbs. That's not faith. That's fear. You and I must believe that God is good. Let me ask you a question. What's the definition of goodness? First, I'll tell you this and ask you a question. I believe the definition of goodness is that he is always out for your best. And that his intent for you is better than your intent for yourself. Most people don't believe that. We think God is some big, mean ogre that's out to hit us with a ball-peen hammer every time we screw up. That he's so disappointed and so disapproving of us. We're afraid to look at him face to face. It's a fearful thing to look at God face to face. But when you see his goodness, that's what removes all the fear. Moses said this to God one day. I want to see your face. I want to see your glory. And God said, all right, I'll let you see my glory. The fullness of who I am. And it says, God says, I will let my goodness pass before you. Let me ask you this question. What would it make you feel like if your child or your children truly believed in the depth of their heart that you hated them? Or let's say, let's not, let's, let's take it up a notch, a little, little shallower. What if you knew that they did not believe that you were truly out for their best? You're just out for your own good. You really don't care about me. What if they really believed that and you knew they really believed that? What would you do? What would you do? You would well, shower your goodness on it, but you've already done that and they still don't believe. What I would do is I would begin to rehearse, not in a shameful voice, after all I've done for you, you believe that? I would rehearse, no, don't you remember when we did this? Don't you remember when we bought you that? Don't you remember when I missed my, that really important meeting because I wanted to go to your sporting event? Don't you remember how the, don't you remember you'd start rehearsing all the goodness so that they could come to a place of faith? You see? This is what God does with us. In fact, Jesus knew that we would have such an issue believing the goodness of God that he taught this parable. Look at um, the book of uh, Matthew with me. In verse 9, it says this, which of you, Jesus says, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? It seems like a rhetorical question, right? He's trying to get the, his audience that he's talking to to understand the goodness of God. That's the whole purpose of this, this teaching. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? Now, I know sometimes you feel like it, but you wouldn't actually go through with that, right? If your son or your daughter gets up in the morning and they say, like every morning, you know, Daddy, I want yogurt. What kind of yogurt? Vanilla yogurt. Here, how about I give you a snake instead? You know, I mean, that's, that's horrible. And yet Jesus knew that the human race actually thinks that God would do such a thing. That we're afraid of him. We're really afraid of what he will give us if we open ourselves bare before God and say, God, whatever you want in my life, we think he's going to drop a bunch of serpents on us. Deep in our hearts, we really believe that God might do something evil to us. That's why Jesus is teaching this parable. He says this, if you then, though you are evil, 
meaning our sinfulness, know how, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You see, this is saying that he says, though you are evil, so God is gooder than we are. And yet we still know how to give good gifts to our children. How many of you gave rocks and serpents to your children for Christmas? Just raise your hand. How many of you, they opened the present, it was like there was this jar of poison. No. And we're sinful. And we know how to be good. God is perfectly good. And then it says, uh, how will he not give good gifts? Well, in the book of Luke, when he teaches this account, he says, give the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing better than the Holy Spirit. No material possession is better than the Holy Spirit. And God yet gives his Holy Spirit to those who ask him. God is a good God. Amen. I was having trouble with this at one point in my spiritual journey. And I kept saying to God, how do I know you love me? How do I know you love me? How do I know you love me? I was really having a, a, a spiritual crisis. I could not get it to penetrate my heart that God really loved John. And he kept pointing me to the cross. I'd be in prayer and he'd say, look at the cross. I'm like, I know, I get it. I know Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. It was so two-dimensional to me until he finally broke through and I realized, oh, what you're saying is what Romans 8 says. Let's read this together. God did not keep back his own son. But he gave him for us all. If God did this, I love this passage. If God did this, won't he freely give us everything else? What, what's more important than God's own son? And he already sacrificed him for us. And you might say, well, then that's enough for me. I don't need anything else. No, listen, he sacrificed his son so that everything else could be available to you. That's false humility. It's like, oh, no, Jesus died for me. I don't need anything else. And God's saying, dummy. I sacrificed my son as the key, the way, the access point for you so I could shower you with all of my goodness. And by the way, I'm going to do it for eternity. So just get used to it now. And if you know me good enough by now, I will take your blessing if you're not going to receive it. I will, I will gobble it all up. Not just for myself, but so that I want as much resources as possible to give out to those who are in need. And that's the heart of God. Me and God are just alike. <laughs> he wants us to be his children, not his orphans, his sons and daughters. And we are supposed to be uh, brokering the kingdom on earth. But you cannot broker what you do not have. So you've got to become a great receiver. Look what, Je- look what he, uh, he says in Luke 12. So don't be afraid, little flock. Jesus, again, understands our fear when we, when we approach God. Don't be afraid, little flock. It gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. It makes God happy when we allow him to bless us. This is one of the things that happened to me, Juan, when I was meditating these passages I came across a few passages we're going to read here real quick. And when I got done reading these passages, the combination clicked for me. And some of you, this is going to really possibly offend you. But I'm just going to tell you what I believe I received and how I've been living ever since. Our goal in life, the Bible says, is to be pleasing to God. Paul says, well, the president or absent, our aim is to be pleasing to him. And it says that he's pleased when we're blessed. 
And so I said to the Lord, I want you really, really happy. And that day, something changed with me and God. I stopped doing this, eh, 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 no, just a little bit, no, no, Lord, I stopped doing that. You know why? Because it displeases the Lord when he's trying to bless you and you won't let him. So I said, God, I want you really happy. And honestly, it wasn't manipulation. That revelation hit me. He's happy when I'm blessed. He's happy when I am blessed in him. John Piper says, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. So let's look at this passage. It is hard. Is that what it says? It is hard? No, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. You must believe that God is a rewarder and God is gooder than you are. And here's the passage that really has become my anthem and I want it to be ours. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Will you say that with me? It says, let, let him say it. Will you say it with me? Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. We say it with me again. Say it out loud. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Amen. I'm going to ask you to say this one more time, but I want you to at the end of it, I want you to say in my prosperity, not the prosperity of his servant, my prosperity. Let's say this again. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in my prosperity. See, that, that's hard for you to say sometimes, isn't it? When I was in business here in San Diego, and I thought that my money and my business was kind of like carnal and worldly, but God is holy and he's in church, I had the most difficult time inviting God into my business. But once I got through this and I realized that the Lord, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and I'm in it and so is all the wealth, and it's not just wealth, it's also wisdom and joy and peace, all that heaven has to offer, I realized that God is good and I'm inviting him into my world and that God began to prosper us. Okay, so number one, you've got to come to God based on Jesus' righteousness, not yours. Number one, you've got to believe that God is good and he wants to bless you. Number three, number three, I want one, two, three. Be ready to give God's blessings to others. You cannot hoard the blessings of heaven and expect heaven to keep pouring it out on you. James, Jesus' half-brother, who gets it because he, he grew up with Jesus in the same house. James says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. You just want to have it all for yourself. You can't be selfish and be a child of God at the same time. God is a giver and you're never more like God than when you're giving. And when you're giving, God will pour out on you. You must determine right now, today, as I'm talking, whatever God gives you this year, you're going to give some of it away. When you do that, it's going to open up the floodgates of heaven. I'm going to, I'm going to give you an example. When uh, we, were, we were in business here in San Diego, my brother and I, and we were devastated. God turned it around. We began to prosper. And then I was in prayer one day, and I had a vision. This grain was pouring out of heaven. 
and it was coming up to where it was going to suffocate me. So I started getting my hands and I started throwing the grain out like this. And I kept throwing it out and throwing it out. And then this thought struck me. I mean, I'm in prayer, but I'm having this vision. I'm seeing this act like a movie. And I had this feeling, I can't keep throwing this out, God, because if I do, there won't be enough for me. And he said, you throwing it out is what caused it to start pouring out in the first place. And I realized that as long as I kept doing this, it would keep coming. We've done that from the beginning of this church. Before I ever drew our first penny, 10% goes to missionaries and to the poor. We've given almost 20% or 20% for the last 10 years. Of everything you give, the first thing we do is give it out to the poor and to the missionaries. I learned that in business. God taught me these biblical principles to give, 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 give. Somebody came down here for healing, and I said, now we prayed for you. You turn and pray for their healing, because as you give, you'll receive. You've got to be an outlet for the kingdom of God, or you're not going to be a good son or daughter, or a good steward. Look what the Bible says. God comes to Abraham, and this is how the covenant begins. Genesis chapter 12, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. That's the whole point. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. I like that part. And all who, all the people on earth will be blessed through you. That's God's purpose for your life. For Him to pour out His blessing through you, so you be a blessing to others in His name. There'll be plenty left for you. Look what 2 Corinthians says. This blows me away. Look at this passage in the Amplified. Remember this, the Apostle Paul says, as you enter 2011. He who sows sparingly and grudgingly will also reap sparingly and grudgingly. And he who sows generously that blessings may come to someone will also reap generously and with blessings. Let each one give as he's made of his own mind and purposed in his heart. Not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion. Oh, God, I got to give again. For God loves. He takes pleasure and he prizes above other things and is unwilling to abandon or do without a cheerful, joyous giver. A prompt to do it giver whose heart is in his giving. Now watch this. And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnish in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. That's in the Bible. Can you believe that's in the Bible? Well, if you can't, then you don't understand God's goodness. God is not, God didn't create us to extract from us. He created us to bless us. So that we could be a blessing. The second Corinthians chapter six, nine through twelve in the Amplified. That, that one was six through eight. I'm sorry, second Corinthians nine, six through eight. Keep reading that passage, you understand, uh, the whole, the whole purpose. Now, once our business started prospering, this is interesting. This is, a, this is where God took me from the survival level of learning how to prosper by giving into the kingdom and like just making it to actually being a son uh, in the earth brokering heaven. This is what happened. Um, I was, I don't say this to brag, it's totally the grace of God, believe me, because we were devastated and we weren't succeeding at all. No glory on me. I was the top salesman in the nation for this particular company. So every weekend, there were sales, sales, sales. There were 10 secretaries writing contracts. It was amazing. Presidents and vice presidents from other companies were flying in to ask us what we did to break industry records. And we would say, 
we did it based on God's biblical principles, which was not the answer they were expecting. And then one weekend, beep, the tap was cut off. I did not make one sale. Friday night, all day Saturday, you know, and all the employees are like, oh, something's wrong with John. He's lost his, his touch. So I gave an extra offering on Sunday at church. Then all day Sunday, didn't make any sales. It's coming down to about 8 o'clock on Sunday night. I have not made one sale. I usually make about 100 in a weekend. And so I said to the Lord, this big sacrificial prayer. I was going to a ministry uh, weekend uh, up in Anaheim to a, to, a, uh, to a parachurch ministry. I was going to go up there for a week. And I said, every sale I make between now and closing, I will give as an offering into that ministry. <laughs> big giver. Floodgates. We were open till midnight. People started flooding in, and I could say, I hate you. And they'd say, yes, and sign the contract, and I'd make a sale. It was unbelievable. Boy, was that a huge father-son lesson right there. He controls my prosperity, and the purpose of it is to be a blessing to others. Isn't that an amazing story? Man. Jesus saw a crowd of hungry people. He multiplied the bread and fish, and he passed it through the hands of the disciples. So here is five loaves, two fish, multiplied to feed thousands, going through the hands of the apostles. Could you imagine if you were one of the disciples, and all of a sudden you're passing out this bread and fish, and it's multiplying, and you see this multiplication, you think, hey, this is awesome. And so you stop giving to others, and you keep for yourself. What do you think would happen to the flow? There were 12 basketfuls left over after they passed them out. Isn't that interesting? Twelve disciples. Don't be like the guy building bigger barns. And then finally, number four. Not only do you need to come to God this year based on Jesus' righteousness, not yours, how much you've prayed, how much you've read, how much you've given, only on his righteousness. Not only do you need to believe that God wants to bless you, that he actually gives him great joy to bless you. Not only do you need to be ready to give out blessings to others when they come to you, but finally you need to be willing to receive blessings from others. Now, this is the big whamma-jamma for some of you. This is the big blockage. This is not only cellophane over your life, it is concrete. Some of you have so blocked yourself in from receiving from others that God tries to get his blessings to you, and he cannot because you will not receive help and blessing and support from others. And let me say this. The primary way that God will bless you is through other people. And every time you say no to someone who offers you help, you just said no to God. I remember I was uh, experiencing supernatural provision. I would, I would show up at home and there would be a check sitting on my front door in an envelope that nobody knew my need and the exact same amount that I needed. I mean, I could go through stories that some of you could share your own stories of supernatural provision. And this is how he trained me how to live by faith. And then one time it completely cut off. My prayers weren't being answered. There were no more miraculous provisions. I used to show up to church with not enough gas in my car to get back home. I was the drummer in this church. I would, I would show up and there'd be an envelope on my, on my seat with enough money in it for gas and for food and other things that I knew I had need bills to pay. And then, um, I would have none left. I'd come back to church the next Sunday. There'd be an envelope. I never, I, to this day, I don't know who did that. And as soon as God released blessings from another avenue that covered my needs, I got a job and it covered my needs, those envelopes stopped coming. 
It was just amazing. Those kind of stories, that stuff stopped happening. I thought there were sin in my life. I didn't know the problem. I said, God, what's the problem? He said, I've taught you how to live by faith. Now I want to teach you how to depend on the body of Christ. Because you can come to a place where you live isolated from the body of Christ because you know how to relate to God on your own. And that's not Jesus' design. So when people would say, oh, you're not feeling well before, I'd say, no, by his stripes I'm healed because of my positive confession, which means you can't enter into my suffering, have empathy on me so there's relationship, and then pray this thing off me together. So I started saying, some would say, you're sick. i say, yeah, but I can get healed if we can pray together. You see, I had to allow you into my depression. I had to allow you into my loneliness. I had to allow you into my sickness. So we, together, I could receive from the body of Christ. Amen. That's how the body becomes a body. You can't keep shutting people out. Or you will not experience the body. Look what the Bible says. Jesus, or, uh, Jesus Tim, I always get them confused. <laughs> quoted this verse earlier. Look at this. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Now, he quoted it. Inaccurately, sorry, Tim, he said, and God will give. That's not what, anyway, the King James Version says. Men will give into your bosom. I just threw you under the bus. It was God doing it. It was God doing it to set this up. And knock, knock, knock at heaven's doors. I'm not knocking on heaven's doors. The door's wide open because I come through Jesus. So I threw Mark under the bus. Shall men give into your lap? It means men will pour blessings into your lap is what that literally means. So you believe in the sowing and reaping principle, but when the blessing comes through a person who wants to give you something, and you say, oh, no, 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 no. That's the way God's answering your prayer. Be humble, which is my first point of why don't we allow others to bless us. Now, grab a hold of this. We've got to come to a close, but this might be you. Number one, pride. You just don't like being the weaker. You don't like being the needy. Just be humble. You are needy. Sometimes you are the weaker. You can't always be the strong one. That's not reality. That's pride, 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 pride. And the Bible says that God resists the proud person, but he gives grace to the humble. I allow myself to just have needs. And then I staff people around me that have strengths that I don't have. Because I've learned that humility is what opens up the doors of heaven. Allow people to bless you. Again, what I'm saying to you is I have no pride whatsoever. I'm completely, totally humble and I've arrived. That's what I was just saying. No, I'm just, I'm realizing that pride is the thing that will stop you from allowing other people to bless you. So if that's your issue, pride recognize it and reject it this year secondly is unworthiness you don't want others to inconvenience themselves for you well how that really translates is you don't feel worthy of somebody else's inconvenience that's really what's going on there but you'll inconvenience yourself for them now wait a minute that lacks integrity i will go out of my way to be a blessing to you but i don't want you to go out of your way to be a blessing to me I say fooey on that. If you're going to go out of your way to be a blessing to me, I'm going to just go ahead and let you do it. Why? Because the exchange is so very important. The exchange is so very important. 
It is so very important. I want to capitalize on this. Let me just say this last point is fear. You're afraid of intimacy. You're afraid that people are, are going to feel that you owe them something. You don't have to feel that way. Jesus said, freely you've received, freely give. So if you give and you're manipulative, sorry, you're going to get nothing out of me. If you're going to give me something, I'm going to receive it freely because you, you're supposed to give it freely. And I'm going to give freely and not expect anything in return. That's the way the kingdom economy is, is supposed to work. That we just bless each other freely and don't expect anything in return except love. And so why should we do this? Number one, you get blessed. You'll be more blessed this year, at the end of this year if you decide on this point right here, I am going to say yes to everybody who says, I want to bless you. I want to pray for you. I'm going to give to you. I'm going to do something for you. Yes. Can you say that with me? Yes. If you do that, you will be so massively blessed by the end of this year because you probably shut out an enormous amount of blessings in the previous year by saying no to people who wanted to bring a blessing to you. Secondly, the giver gets blessed. You know how blessed you are when you give to somebody. Isn't that a tremendous joy? My little girl and I were giving something to some friends of ours over the Christmas break, and we were taking it to their house together. We were walking, and I said, doesn't this feel good? She was skipping. She wanted to go. She goes, Daddy, I want to go with you when you give that gift away. She wanted to be part of the giving. When you don't allow somebody to give to you, you are robbing. You're selfish. Oh, you want all the joy of giving, but you don't want anybody else to have the joy of giving. See, it's not, it's not proper. You've got to be humble and allow yourself to open up so that they can be blessed. My wife and I, uh, there's a, a guy who uh, manages the skating rink up in Escondido. And he found out that we have Josiah who's in a wheelchair. And you can't have a wheelchair on the ice. He said, I will come in two hours early on my Christmas break to open up the skating rink for just you and your family. And so we go there, and we have the whole skating rink, just to me and my kids, man. We're pushing Josiah's wheelchair, and he's spinning around in the ice. It was so awesome. And this guy is sitting there in the cold, in an ice skating rink for two hours, just sitting there watching us. And we felt kind of bad about it, you know? It's like, oh, no. And he sent Hope and I a card that said what a blast he had being able to do that for us and watching us have a blast filled his heart with joy. We're feeling like, oh, man, this is such an inconvenience for you. Really? I mean, do you want to come early, 8 o'clock, and you want to open up just for us? You don't want to let somebody inconvenience themselves for you. I did. And so, look, I knew that he was getting a blessing out of doing it for us. Then what happens next is the relationship gets richer. This is why, for me, I am not a big proponent on anonymous giving. If there's extenuating circumstances, okay. But the only time Jesus said in the Bible to be an anonymous giver is when you're giving to the poor. So you don't look all spiritual and they're not embarrassed. That's where that passage comes from. But King David recorded in the Bible how much he gave to church as an inspiration to others to give. Recorded how, much, how many of his leaders gave. Now, why is this important? For me, I want to know who gave me the dang gift so I can look you in the face and say, thank you for loving me. It makes me feel wonderful. My love for you is, is returning to you right now. That giving, receiving exchange is so important to our relationship getting richer. When I give you a gift, I want to walk up to you and give it to you and have that. I got a Pentecostal handshake last week. It felt great. You know what a Pentecostal handshake is? Somebody shakes your hand and there's something in the handshake. <laughs> And then you slip it in your pocket. I like that. You say, oh, you greedy preacher. Shut up. It was love. 
There was appreciation. And I like doing that to other people. This isn't all about money. This is about relationships and enriching each other's lives. The relationships enrich because you sacrificed for me, which means you love me. I don't know who to thank. I don't know who loves me. Somebody in the crowd. Well, take it for what it's worth. Maybe you don't agree. Maybe you don't agree, but I think it's important to the relationships to give and receive from one another and don't hide behind false humility and all that. Now, if you are giving so that they think better of you, then give anonymously. That's hypocrisy. That's what Jesus said. The Pharisees give so everybody says, oh, aren't they wonderful? If that's your motivation, then give in silence and private until you can get over that. And uh, then you can give with right motives. Uh, fourth, God's blessed. Why is God blessed when this happened? Don't you, don't you get blessed when your kids get along and they're giving and sharing? Here, you want to play with my, my baby doll? You can have it now. Here, you want to play with my, my wee? You can have, here, you have a turn before me. You're like, what? <laughs> I think it's what heaven might do. What? Did they just prefer one another? That's amazing. That's what heaven's like. And it makes God happy when he sees us giving and receiving to one another. Why? Because the last point, is the body of Christ becomes what God designed it to be, a loving, giving community. So let's all stand. This year, as we are removing the blockages from receiving from God, we want to come to God on our, on God's, on Jesus' righteousness, not ours. Will you make that determination with me this morning? Okay. Let's say this together. Say, God, this year, I will relate to you based on Jesus' righteousness, not mine. Thank you for the gift of being right with you. Secondly, um, you guys are great. You guys are easy. Right now, determine in yourself that you're going to reject all belief systems that says, God, it does not want to bless me. Just reject it right now inside of yourself. It's lies from the enemy. Say this out loud. God is good. And God wants to be good to me this year. And I will let him. Okay, thirdly, get yourself into a posture now of determining right now. Whatever I get this year, I'm giving some away. We, okay, will you make that determination right now And you? Just come on. Dial down and dial inside yourself saying quit being so dang selfish and fearful and be a giver like God. Will you make that determination right now in your spirit? I'm going to be a giver this year just like my God is. Now say this with me. Say, God, you're a giver. I'm your child. So I'm a giver. And I will give more this year. Than I did last. In Jesus name. And then finally. Receiving from others. Are you ready to drop the pride. And the fear. And all that unworthiness. And say yes. When people say they want to do something for you. And convenience themselves. Are you ready to say yes. Okay. Pray this with me. Say in Jesus name.